My brother died suddenly when he was 45. He was a musician, but he was a state grade squash player and he died on the squash court, just dropped it to rest. It was devastating. But a couple of days after he died, a Facebook memory came up of him and it said, all you really have right now is this moment. It stayed with me that, you know, we fret about things that are to come that may never happen. We worry about the past or things that we can't change. But really, if we can be in this moment, that is the only thing that is really real. And then your attitude and perception of this moment is the thing that you can control, which it's a very empowering set of beliefs. Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. Like I need a friend. Won't you come and sit in my windowsill? everyone. It's Margo here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Windowsill Chats. I always am just really flattered that you do that. So thanks. Today is just a really lovely, interesting, meaningful, personal conversation. I am speaking today with Sophia Cosmas, all the way from Australia. And she is just doing some very intriguing work. Sophia is actively exploring the subject of art making as a response to grief. And as a result, she has had a dedicated art making practice since she lost her father in 2020. She observed that over the last 20 years, with five significant losses in her life, her grief has been compounded. But her response has each time been to immerse herself in intensive art making. And I know many of us tackle that differently and in different ways. And we talk about that. Sophia aims in the pieces that she creates to celebrate the perfect imperfection of life by being fully immersed in process learning and problem solving. Art making as a metaphor, if you will, for life itself. She finds inspiration everywhere, but is heavily influenced by her Hellenic ancestry. I dug in a little bit to Sophia's blog, and it, it, this I'll just give you a little bit more background. It's very interesting, her viewpoint on grief. And she mentions, since 1969, when Elizabeth Kubler-Ross articulated what was originally five, but was eventually expanded to seven stages of grief, Western society has embraced the idea that a bereaved person should move through a defined process with a defined endpoint. Sound familiar? Any lingering manifestations are considered a demonstration of some sort of deficit or at least poor coping skills, or that's sort of what we're societally made to believe. And in Sophia's experience, grief takes innumerable forms and is not something that is gotten over, worked through, or necessarily ever resolved. She is applying for a grant from the Australia Council for the Arts to explore over the course of a year how her daily art-making practice has been and continues to be impacted by grief and loss. And she will also be interviewing others to see how they interpret it and how that shows up in their work, which I just think is fascinating. I've spoken to Sophia and she has an update on her grant and the process of her project. Sophia did not receive the grant. However, 
as many of you can probably relate to, sometimes when you get an idea that feels so aligned with your work and your heart, nothing's really going to stop it. It's the idea is planted. The seed is planted. The energy is, is behind it. So Sophia is going forward with her project anyway. And will be, as I mentioned, talking to several people and maybe even more than her original plan. This way, it's not kind of, there's no rules around it from anybody else. It's Sophia's project and it comes from something that she can really relate to. And she's very curious as to the path and the stories of others. So stay tuned. And I'm just, I I really think this is an important project and I can't wait to see where it takes us. So that's an update. I hope you take something away from this conversation. I'm just so glad that you're here because I, I feel like this is, like I mentioned, just is so relevant. And I, I think it's interesting too, what you said, it's like, how do other people deal with, with grief and art or creativity? I think there's definitely different, different ways. We either dive into it or we shut down. And both of those states exist within my home, not within me, but within my home. Mm. where a mother who is an incredibly artistic and um, talented, she's a very traditional watercolourist. Since my brother died, she has Mm. not been able to pick up a brush really. Mm -hmm. And in the odd few times when she's got together with a group of her friends and under the guise of getting together, but they're all artists and they all make, um she's painted a few things she's come back to the home as if she's been in a therapy session lighter and but in her head she perceives it as I have to give something to the page mm. and so she she, does, she blocks herself it's, and you have to allow people to have their own process and their own expression and everything so there's not a lot I can say about it but it's 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 really interesting because I'm quite compulsive about making so mm-hmm. You know, that's my way. Well, and I think, you know, art, I even Googled after reading your, oh, just looking at your work, which I love and, and you're just kind of the grant you've applied for and all. And I, and I Googled, I don't know what it was like grief art for the sake of what I say, grief and art making. That was what I Googled. And there was interesting things that came up in different books and, and different, questions that people had asked and, you know, like, how does it help with grief and how do you turn grief into creativity and things like that? And I, and I just think no matter what creating for me personally, I can only speak for myself, but holds is therapeutic in some way. It's just when I can give myself enough time to really get lost in it. So that means a good couple hours. It's just, oh my gosh, I always feel better, you know? Absolutely. Well, and I think it's allowing yourself to have that. And I think a lot of people, goodness, it's so complicated. I think the relationship with grief and loss is very complicated and it probably changes on a daily basis as well for different people. Mm. But um, see, for me, this part of my art making journey started when my father died. And up until then, I had been his full-time carer. He was mm. in the home. He was very sick for a long time okay. and his decline increased. That makes sense. His decline became yeah, yeah. more and so his requirements from me were greater and I wanted to commit myself to looking after him, which I did, but I still had to find ways of doing creative things. Even I'd be sitting with him and I was making pinch pots out of beads out of clay next to me with because I, I just needed to be doing something tactile, doing yeah. something creative with a view to a bigger picture. Mm. And I'd actually um, enrolled in an online painting course. I've never been friends with a paintbrush mm. and until that time, never been, never painted, but I enrolled in an SD McLeod online course and I thought how with Dad getting worse am I going to be able to um, participate fully in this class because I was so engaged with what she, her process, just magic, and I needed some magic. Yes, and this new, and 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 I'm sure you know I'm going to love it anyway. Dad died uh, eight days before the class started. Oh gosh, so 
that was also on the first day of the COVID lockdowns here in Melbourne, which meant I had um, really no way of uh, actively mourning dad's grief in the sense of having a funeral or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But what I could do is put my head down and just put myself into this very immersive process which Esty so generously and beautifully creates. Mm. It it was the beginning of something extraordinary for me and and it it feel like I have a validity and um, she give me focus and it's been a gift. Did you surprise yourself with that? Uh, I shouldn't have but yes I did because I come from a family of artists. Like as I said, my mum's an artist, my dad was a musician, my brother was a professional musician, and really it, it was a no-brainer given the trajectory of how I spent my my time outside of work. I was always making, I even I worked in photography, I did all sorts of things that were to do with the visual arts, but maybe the culture I came from or something didn't validate my enthusiasms and my capacity mm-hmm. and so until now that I've been able to really say no this is actually who this it represents me like I, you are not what you do but these processes and all of that represents who I am and I can't be anything other than that and the, the universe has delivered me a position physiologically where I can't go out and work I can't sit behind a desk I actually have a number of chronic illnesses and conditions which mean I just this is all like this is all I can do but gosh it's good yes it is <laughs> that's yes, the, so interesting mm, thank you the, the the journey is is so rewarding every day and as I confront the challenges that continue to present knowing that I can come back and jump into whatever and do whatever uh, at my little studio desk area is just, it's fabulous. Oh my gosh. What a gift really. I mean, in I know that sounds, I don't know, backhanded when you're thinking about grief, but when there is something that you can sink yourself into that does hold you, you know, hug you, if you will, like I think being creative does, I consider that because we all have to find a way to deal with it, you know? And I think I've said this, somebody said, maybe somebody said, I don't know, I've adapted this, that I feel like grief, you know, other people don't see it. They think, oh, she's doing so great. She's so much better. But it's it's like a, for me, it's like a brick in my pocket. Like it's always there and it's heavy, sometimes heavier than others, certainly. But when you, like when you t- spend time in it with that person in your mind or whatever, it's heavy and it's, and nobody can see it, you know? So if you can, and, and in this time too, like grieving through the time of COVID, like when you can't do the normal things where you might, people might come together and celebrate that person. That's just, oh my gosh. I think of all the people who've had to silently say goodbye or or however you want to say it. It's just well, the people who couldn't be with their loved mm, ones. Breaks my heart. That is really heart I mean, I at least had, had the timing and everything of it all in some ways was difficult, but it was going to be difficult anyway. Right. I think the fact that I could have my dad with me, he passed away on, on his own terms in his mm. own and I was able to help facilitate that for him. Just the world, when I look back on what it all uh, how it all played out. I just think it was how it was meant to be. And even this spot that I'm sitting at right now was my dad's spot at the kitchen table. Mm, nice. And, uh, this is where I have, you know, I spend a lot of time um, because there's beautiful light and it's really lovely. And and I think, you know, dad's leaving uh, his death made space for me. And even though mm. the things I don't, believe that grief ever goes away I don't think you work through it I don't think you get past it I think it's with you and it changes you forever the self expands and so I am able to expand and coexist and thrive alongside that um that 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 crater Mm. and the 
that sort of to make it visual sort of it's it's like it it's not like it's just a mind space that's barren it actually starts to to uh fill itself incidentally like you you can't do it on purpose to mm-hmm. but it's different everything's different once you've uh, experienced different griefs that's that's a i like that visual that crater and it because it, it is a crater, so it's always there. It's always a there's always a reminder of it, but it does and you have fill, to negotiate. fill itself in, yeah, in some ways. Well, and you said that the whole seven stages of grief is that really is that really a thing, right? We all kind of do it in our own way, and that the the passing of your father must have brought up other things for you because you mentioned other people or other grief that you've had a lot of it in your life, and then how how you're choosing to really study that with on your own and by working with others. I'd love to know kind of about that path. I'm, I'm very lucky um, that I was raised in a tradition. Um, like I'm have Hellenic heritage, but my dad was not wedded to the Greek Orthodox Church in any way. He didn't um, embrace Christianity. He was a Hindu. Mm. And so he taught me from the earliest years, from the first death that we experienced as a family, which was my dad's sister when she was very young um, and I was seven, uh, that, that the soul goes on. And although you have to deal with your own sadness, you don't need to worry about the people who have passed because they're, they're okay, they're on a journey and life is eternal. Um, so I was raised not fearing death, not being worried about what happens afterwards for other people. And I also probably don't worry for myself, although I don't dwell on what my own death will be. Um, I just, I learned, um, so I was conditioned to be allowed to have a conversation about death. And it's been funny when I've seen various counsellors and whatnot, and I've talked to them about my um, belief system, they've misunderstood and thought that I'm embracing death or that, you know, it's like, yeah. I can see the cogs turning and they're getting worried. <laughs> and I'm, Let's just change tracks. I don't need to explain this. <laughs> but I, I really, I'm okay with, um, with the whole life-death process. And I think that's kind of odd in this culture because yeah. death, even though we're surrounded by it, even though it's an integral part of life, people um, aren't comfortable with it. And that to me is a poverty in the society that I would like to, in my own way, with my own expression, challenge because I think not having those fears embedded in you from childhood is a a, a real gift. It was one of the greatest gifts that I was ever given from my dad. That's got to be. I mean, that's... That's an incredible gift. And I, and I love that pursuit because I think growing up, you know, I don't know, certainly American culture, it's, it is like this big black thing. Right. And, and we wonder about this and that, but it's scary. And if you can, if you're given the gift of growing up with it, not being scary, or you can help other people get to that point, scary to pick a word, you know, that would be quite an amazing shift for many people. Well, I can't overstate what not believing that being good will send you to heaven and being (laughs) hell not having the weight of that on your back and as you know children are so literal as well yeah Um, I just that that and I said it to dad many times you know he he because he came to it himself he was a he had been raised Greek orthodox and everybody has their own path you know it's not the right beliefs for everybody but I can just say for me with how my life unfolded not having that has been um, very positive but as I've approached people to talk about my project there is a a consternation and concern that this is something that's negative and that's dark and they don't want to go there or it doesn't represent their brand and I'm thinking to me it's just it's a jumping off point for another part of living, which everything is. I think if you can, if anyone, like, I feel like that's such a fascinating project to have, like, and I want to hear kind of just what your project is and how it's laid out in your mind, but who, like, that's then digging into the good stuff, the meaty stuff. 
surface is nice and painting pretty things is nice. But what about when the fun part or the intriguing, interesting part of a, of a human relationship is talking about things like really talking about things. And I think when you apply it to the thought of art making and your creativity, what does that, what does that look like? Does it, does it like your mom close something off or does it like you kind of bust things open? And, and I imagine those things could shift too along the way. I definitely, I think they do. I think in, I mean, a huge part of being in life is um, dynamism and um, being adaptable to the forces from outside have been absolutely essential for me because there's still issues that I need to deal with that are outside of my control. That's life. Um, So being elastic and, and seeing how you respond, but being able to observe yourself and, um, see what's good for you, see what makes you feel better, allow yourself those things. Um, I think it, it maybe it gives you just a framework for looking at yourself and allowing yourself to grow and acknowledging your personal growth. I mean, to, to go to your question of, of what I aim to achieve, I think that what I will get out of my project personally and the, the body of work that I intend to create, which I don't know what that's going to be because it's going to depend on how I am and what I do and what I come up you know, what I'm exposed to in the in the next bit of my life. And I've had to learn to accept that to a great degree because of my physical constraints. But I think it's going to, it's different for everyone. But if at least if we can have the conversation and start to think through art making about grief differently, I think that might be the, the, the positive thing that I can embody for other people. Absolutely. Because if we can overcome the idea of, you know, a dark cloud that will pass over you if you go through the right steps or if you, part, you know, oh, that's the angry phase or that's the whatever phase. If you can get past that idea yeah. um, of judging everything and to be in your moments, do what you need to do, understand what's good for you, then that will be... Um, I'll be so happy if, if I can help share that because I, I think that I have managed through many years of, to actually come to a place where I am accepting of a lot of challenges. Yeah. And I think you said be in your moment. It's permission, right? Because I feel like we, you know, I lost a dear person to me and my dearest heart dog, you know, my best dog, all it within very close together. And I was working a corporate job and I, you know, had responsibilities. And it was one of those moments where nothing seemed to matter as much as personal connection and things like that. And um I got literally written up for being disengaged. And it was a particular meeting. It was in a dark room, like no windows and the walls were black. And we were, it was a three hour meeting. Oh goodness. For just the tiniest bit of copy to go on an in-house storyboard that was going to be describing what Christmas meant to children. And I, I mean, I couldn't smile the whole time. I just like, I was like, I remember thinking to my, in my head, like, like, I'm sorry, but I cannot I literally, and I can't relate to this right now. I, it just seems so petty when my mind is thinking about the loss of a young person and what that means. <laughs> just like the fact that I got written up for being disengaged. I was like, I, in the future, you know, I'd walk down the hall to that meeting room and I'd put my fingers on the side of my mouth and like scoot it up into a smile, (laughs) be like, okay, I'm engaged. But, you know, I think there's those moments where that, that was supposed to be creative thinking. Right. But it's Mm -hmm. just, if, if you could just be in your moment, be in your moment because society, there's the pressure for, oh, I have to, I have to get back to it. Or people are expecting me of this, expecting this of me. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I have, a friend who just lost uh, someone very dear to them just this week. And um, he uh, crafted a um, 
text response. It's kind of said, here's where I am. Here's what I'm going through. And that's kind of what he's sending out to people. And someone else said, gosh, do you think that's too much? And I was like, I think it's just exactly what it needs to, like he's being in his moment. How awesome is that? You know? Absolutely. So to, to, for you to be on the path of really putting it out there to give people that more permission or to engage with you or with the work you're doing, I think it's super exciting and I'm, I'm thrilled and I can't wait to see what comes of it. I'm, I'm so, um, it's look to have the affirmation from other people is, um, incredibly valuable and rewarding. And it, it makes me, um, like I'm enthusiastic. I mean, I'm enthusiastic about it anyway, but to know that, that I know that I'm going to derive a lot from it just on a very selfish personal level, but that other people, you know, there's that thing of, oh, I want to go out and I want to, I want to help other people. It's not actually really about that. I mean, all I can do is be me and do my thing and make that available to other people. And part of that for me as well is because I'm very introverted is to have something specific with which I can engage with other people. So then I can, it's a doorway. So this is a pathway for a, a wider experience for me as well. And it's, it's 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 such an exciting um undertaking and and I think that my whole life has led me to this point of doing this um I, I looked up the other day or yesterday and discovered you know the funding um for the grants is not being announced for another two weeks I'm going to do the project anyway yeah yeah because I think you know you can scale back all sorts of things but I think it's an it's Oh, to have a framework around which look, I love a constraint. I love, you know, having some boundaries within to work is a really valuable thing. And this is very meaningful. And I think it will honor the people I've lost. Like you were saying just then um, about the your friend who wrote his piece and it stated his place. And I remember um, my brother died suddenly when he was 45. He was um, a musician, but he was a a state grade squash player and he died on the squash court, just dropped it. It was devastating. But a couple of days after he died, um, a Facebook memory came up of him and it said, all you have, all you really have right now is this moment. Oh, wow. But because that he had shared a similar philosophy to my dad, but it stayed with me that, you know, we fret about things that are to come that may never happen. We worry about the past or things that we can't change. But really, if we can be in this moment, that is the only thing that is really real. And then your attitude and perception of this moment is the thing that you can control, which it's a very empowering set of beliefs. It really, really is. I mean, the present is where we are. And so much of us drag along the past or tie ourselves to the future. But really, if you spend time in the present, figuring, you know, embracing that, all of it's going to be, you know, you're driving then. Mm -hmm. You're driving. And it's interesting too, when um, I was putting together the grant application, it's an extensive process, but it was such a rewarding process because it made me really drill down of what do I Mm. want to discover? What am I trying to achieve? What is it going to mean to me to do this? And how do I want to represent that to the broader world, whatever that is? And so when people said to me, oh, it'll be such a shame if you don't get the funding. And I thought, you know what, just going through this process and allow yourself to um, really visualize something is that that's a beautiful thing. I'm really grateful that I that I had to go through those steps and answer those questions and do all of that thinking and documenting because it meant um, it meant something real came into possibility and oh it just does that make sense real came into possibility well it really does because I feel like that's kind of the universe too when you state something in my 
I don't know, in my experience, you know, probably or potentially the the drilling down that you really had to do, you really had to look and lay that out. And it does something where you you loosen up your mind to, you know, maybe the spots in your mind that weren't thinking that way. And you're like, okay, I you're probably became even more committed to wanting to do this. So now it's in you. And I certainly hope that the grant comes through in your favor, but no matter what, I can tell that this is now a passion and, and you've done the work of figuring out what you want to do with it. That's exactly right. And I think that I've spent a couple of years in a bubble exploring things artistically, but it's like the tentacles of enthusiasm and life, the life of this project, which is also part of me, um, will be able to expand safely into the into the greater world and and that and feeling that I can and feeling that I'm worthy of doing those things is you know it's it's a it's a very positive it's really positive and it all it all spring springs from this place of loss and I just think isn't that funny and funny right isn't that a a backhanded gift or a roundabout gift or really the it is the gift, you know, and so tell, describe what it's going to look like, your, what you'd like it to look like. Okay, so I am going, I'm sorry, it's art making as a response to grief, a personal exploration, something along those lines, I'll tidy that up. But really, I've started a daily art making practice, which is, there's a couple of things that I do every day. I do um, uh, blind contours and and often of the same subjects because I'm at home a lot of the time um so there's things that I do every day and I love the accumulation of materials so you can have something in isolation but once you've got 50 of them and you can look at them and see progression or see how things variables altered uh, a particular thing Mm. I love that and I think an exploration of the comparison of these daily exercises will be part of it. I don't, I want to, oh, sorry, I do want to um, talk to a number of other artists in different fields, so writers, musicians, but also visual artists. It'll be mainly visual artists about how um, grief and loss have affected their art-making process. And I, I don't really mean... Man, uh, drawing my response to grief or painting it. What I mean is, how does it affect them in themselves and their relationship to what they do? And I think by posing those questions, as it has for me, it has actually changed what I create in some ways. And it'll be interesting to see if that happens with the people that I have reached out to and speak to. And I'll I'm got, I've got about 10 people so far and I think I will, the project will be over the course of a year. So I'm going to try and maybe do 12 to 14 interviews mm. with different people from different areas. I, I also want to do uh, a gallery exhibition at mm. the end and that'll be interesting because I don't actually, because I don't know how much I'm going to be able to make, mm. but I know the ceramics component and there will be a painting slash prints aspect to that. And I also want to write up a, a study or in some way publish the interviews that I do with people. Uh, I'd like to to honour those in some way. Um, I but think I that'd be fascinating to hear. Yeah. I think, look, I'm not very tech-minded, <laughs> but I have worked in publishing and book publishing and so I think um, possibly some sort of a book will be what comes out of it with with transcripts possibly of those interviews if that's what is interesting I want it to be visual but I also want it to have that a guided thought-provoking option if people want to do that like you know some people just look at the 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 uh, the visuals and they get a lot from that and other people really like seeing what's said so I agree and I think with a subject like this that again 
none of us can get away from none of us. So I think it would be fascinating to dig in and see how as it relates to being creative for, from any of those aspects that you've mentioned, what does that do to people's creativity? Because we're all looking and saying like, okay, how did I feel? Or how will I feel? How might I feel? And the differences would, will be great. Do you, are you, do you think you'll interview your mom? That's such a good question. She's a really hard nut to crack. And she's, she wants to encourage whatever I do, but I, I don't know. I, I would want to actually, I'm so glad you suggested that. Maybe I could do it under the guise of it being a practice. Yes. And then feel the pressure because she's not, like I'm very open <laughs> mum's not like me <laughs> and you know she comes from a different generation she was a migrant who came here and couldn't speak the language and she likes to be invisible so having a spotlight on her might be a lot of pressure but yeah I think that's I'm glad you said that because mm-hmm. I think I and I'll use her as a practice yeah I love that idea of of, of the guise of a practice because again it's just such a human human thing. I I remember reading and I mean, this is, again, this isn't direct grief, but it's cultural grief. Uh, Reading a book by Jung Chang called Wild Swans, and it's about China. It's one of my favorite books ever. For those listening, it's the history. It's this one woman, Jung Chang, who wrote about her grandmother, her mother, and herself, but it covers history from the late 1800s. So it's the um, warlords, Kuomintang, Red Army, Mao, all the things. And so they saw their their beloved, you know, country change and the people they thought they knew change. So it was so interesting to look at it from such a broad sense, but brought down through one person's experience of that change in grief, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And then what, she, I mean, her creativity was as a writer and it's beautiful and mm. and and fascinating and so interesting for those mm. of us to read like how you know I traveled to China so much for work and I remember I would I've read it so many times cuz I would go over to China and and look you know pass an older person on the street and just want to language was a barrier but wanted to stop and say like how did you manage <laughs> you know how did you do it how did you come out the other side you know absolutely and actually my dad spent some time in northern China back in the early 1990s. He mm. was setting up a food processing plant and he was the first Western. My dad my dad looked like uh, a person from the Middle East. So he, he, was, he was quite dark, had dark hat. And you have a beautiful he, sketch of him on your Instagram. Thank you. And um, he, he was the first Westerner that had been seen in the Wuxi province where he was in this village. And he, he was very open. He, he so wanted to communicate with people and hand signals, sounds, all of the things that we usually use to try and get around communication difficulties were not, he couldn't, he could not communicate with people to even uh, there was a story about him going to into a shop to buy a coca-cola and pointing to the can and mimic and doing the sign of drinking and showing the money to to say I want to buy couldn't understand what he was wanting to do and he ended up having to walk out without it because culturally it was just it it was like being on another planet especially at that I mean there was it was just starting to change yeah. open back up just starting but the one thing that he connected with was the small was the children mm-hmm. and the children laid out in the street and that there's lots and lots of really bad photos because dad was not visual but really bad photos of just the children playing in the streets and he derived such joy even though he was so isolated mm-hmm. such a social person incredibly isolated for months but at least this was something that he could sit with the other old people on the bench, although he wasn't that old at that stage, but he was older and he could engage in watching and, and uh, enjoying the children's enthusiasm. And, uh, yeah, he found a way to connect. But, you know, sometimes when you, when you find those workarounds, it's incredibly rewarding because yeah. you, you given something. You actually have to find the way to do it. It's true. And I would think in this work you're doing, it is, it's a, it's a workaround, you know, it's getting through it and around it 
and being creative in that or not is a workaround. And, and it's, it, and again, it's going back to, um, being in your moment, you know, and allowing yourself that. That's right. I just think it sounds like such a fulfilling project. Well, thank you. I'm look, I'm so excited about starting it. I'm being practical and not going to start it until the end we have, our, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but our financial year ends at, on the 30th of June. Mm. So I start this on the 1st of August. I want to give myself two months into the financial year to put everything in place. I will know and, and I will nut out what my plans are. And then the universe will laugh at me and my plans will get thrown away. But at least I'll know more clearly what I want to achieve um and and I just can't wait I'm so excited oh my gosh that's so great that's so great I I would imagine that after you've interviewed your 10 or 12 or however many you're going your list is going to get much longer it might be a conversation that you have for the rest of your life which is pretty cool that would be wonderful I think you'll change lives too just points of view I think it sounds like a a good place to land for people when they, when they understand and, and, you know, can, can see what you're doing and read it. I I think it's important. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, it means a lot to me that, that as a fellow creative, you have that response because, you know, a lot of people have, have felt uh, challenged by the idea of it. And actually the people who have been challenged by it have all been older older people like I'm in my 50s but older than me but I think their experience and the experience of much younger people will be really interesting because much younger people will have the opportunity to take it take the idea of a different view of grief whatever that is forward and as they experience loss and disappointment in their lives uh, it just changed their experience of that if they have a chance to think about it but it's something that I think in people's minds, there's the concept of, I don't want to think about that because it's dark. And darkness and light are essential for our experience. And you can't pretend that they're not there. Well, you can, but it just right. means a beige existence. It is pretty beige. And, and how old's your son? So my son is 15 and he is, um, he has, he's neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. And so at the moment, he's having a lot of trouble at, with school attendance. So we spend a lot of time at home and it's part of his diagnosis, I guess. It's just who he is. He's sure. always been very engaged with what he's engaged in. And um, he has a he occupies a specific area on the spectrum, uh, which is called PDA, which is pathological demand avoidance. Mm. And this means that things are very complicated for him that for other people you might think twice about. And the best way that I can help him is by not stressing, not worrying and uh, providing a loving environment for him. And in doing that, which doesn't sound like it's hard, but sometimes when I get stressed about him not being at school or missing things or whatever, you know, that's an automatic place to go as a parent because you, you think your kid's supposed to be doing this, that and the other. Right. But allowing him to be himself and feel comfortable and validated as himself is the most important thing I can do. And my understanding of his functioning has come later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've had, we've had quite a journey together in this 15 years. Yeah. Sounds like it, but it also sounds like, well, you, you seem to have a, a calm demeanor and a, you know, a, a also kind of a get it done, figure it out. And you also are allowing, or sounds like you're embracing the living in the present, you know, it's like, okay, here we are. Here's how we're going to do this today. <laughs> you know, might not look like I thought it was going to, but. And that's, that's what I mean about, like, I just don't know. I, it's, it's a lesson in not knowing what the future will hold because you can hope for all sorts of things, but really making the best of the moment that you have at that moment is the greatest thing you can do for yourself. Oh my gosh. So well said. It's a lesson in not knowing that and just to embrace what we have. I love this conversation. Thank you. I am. I'm so looking forward to 
watching this unfold for you. Oh, thank you. I am too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. Oh, I can't wait to to hear the results of what's next for you. I well, think. The conversations I have with other people are something that I'm really looking forward to. It's a bold step outside my comfort zone, but when you wrap it up in something that you love, I mm. think it gives you a real, um, it, 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 uh, it just makes you feel safe. And I'm just so excited to, uh, the Instagram community as well is amazing. And that's where I have uncovered many uh, people who I want to engage with, but you're also sort of relationships with those people too. Well, um, we haven't even talked about your art. I mean, your art is oh. wonderful. And, and, you know, I, I, um, I love that you've painted with Este, but your hand and your, your sketching and just what it turns into with your artwork is it's charming and wonderful. And, and yeah, it's, it's very easy to, to feel good about. Oh, thank you. That's lovely of you to, to say, I, I actually, believed for so many I used to I started out doing from when I was really little cutting and pasting not mm. realizing that was an art form called collage and and then I did photography but I, I always told myself I couldn't draw and I couldn't paint I was not friends with the brush so it's been a really interesting journey I was given a book some or well, maybe I wasn't given it maybe I bought it for myself but it was Carla Sondheim's it was silliness. Yep. So one of the exercises was drawing with your non-preferred hand. And when I started doing that, all of these characters started emerging. Yeah. I I was delighted because I suddenly thought, why have I told myself that I can't do this? Um, I am my own worst enemy. And so I let that whole idea of I can't go and just embrace the whole thing about being in the now, being in the process, doing it for the process. And um, But then um, my spinal injury came back to bite me and my non-preferred hand is my left hand, which is mm. also my damaged side, and I couldn't sustain doing the work with my left side. So I felt like I'd been given this amazing gift and then it was taken away from me again because I couldn't continue to do it. But it meant that I'd changed my thinking. Yeah. And I always just have to be nimble in how I think about things so that I don't focus on the can't but think how am I going to do this differently. And I have a beautiful cousin who lives just down the road from me who is also an artist and she's so encouraging and knowledgeable and she really, really helps um, just give me good feedback and just is my partner in crime nice. um, and we talk about art every day with each other. So I'm not quite sure why I'm telling you this, but the whole idea of getting past the idea of I can't Right. And practicing and understanding how there can be an evolution through practice and it'll take you to places you never even thought of has, um, yeah, it's, 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 that's been my, it's actually been a, a hallmark of my whole life. I have never really planned things. I've just seen where, uh, what's possible and tried to that way rather than I used to be. I can remember a friend describing me as, you know, bad things always happen to Soph. And I was mortified by the idea of being perceived that way because I thought I don't see myself that way. Uh, I need to try and not just be open about the things that are challenging me but also find something, a positive spin to articulate. And that positive articulation has turned into visual arts and I love it. That's so reassuring and honest and true. And I think, I think as we get older, we get it, you know, we know that it's a, it's an accumulation of the experiences and that again, it's kind of living in the present, but we have more past to inform that. And, and we can just say, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to be. And I, it's, it's going to be much more enjoyable if I just figure it out. 
and I take that glass and fill it up, you know? That's right. And I think it, it's not that it's too easy to not do that, but I don't think it's understood how valuable it is to be in control of your own perceptions and mm-hmm. to not judge yourself for being how and who you are. Like you can't, it's not about putting on a happy face right. at all. Mm-hmm. It's about being real and not catastrophizing and allowing yourself to find value and meaning, meaning, positive meaning. And when I say positive meaning, I mean real meaning in the things that you experience. Because I look at the greater Australian community and we're about to have a federal election in a couple of days and I don't know what's going to happen, but I look at a lot of people and you see them interviewed on Vox Pops and things and they're not thinking. Right. There's no creativity in their life. There's it. Yeah. I, it, I, it's another world. And you to can me. see it. You can really see it. Feel it too. Yeah. And feel it. It's, um, it's palpable. And, you know, I kind of have to look at it and, and I don't want to be judgmental about the society and the people in the society. But I have to say that I'm very glad that I feel a bit separate from yeah. most people because I'm not like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's a gift. It's a gift. Thanks to your dad and your mom. I'm sure. Yeah. All those, all the factors. You know, many, I spent, when I was 17, I left home. I went and lived overseas by myself for a year because I didn't feel like I belonged in my family. And um, I went and stayed with my aunt for a little while in Greece. She was my dad's favorite sister. And I spent a lot of time with her and ultimately um, I would go back to Greece whenever she was unwell. I would go back to Greece and I would look after her and then I would come back to Australia, pay off all the debts that I accumulated living off a credit card in Greece and then the next thing would happen, I'd go back and look after her. And she ended up dying in 2000. Mm. but I was incredibly rewarded by the relationship I managed to have with her through that, that period, those periods that I spent with her because we would always talk. There was nice. always rubbing of souls mm. that we had. And so then when um, I had a, this was in the situation where I was going to be a single parent and I'd uprooted my life and I had to come back to Australia and live with my dad, who I hadn't lived with since I was 17. Mm. We, we were different people by then because we'd, oh, I'd had a whole life, many lives probably in between, and we had that relationship as well. So um, dad and I talked every morning. We would both get up before the sun came up, like at around now, and um we would sit and chat and oh, I, I cannot tell you how much that carries me through. The conversations we had, the feeling of it, the warmth. And it wasn't just about being uh, loved and accepted by my dad who thought I was great. It was about having a real soft connection with somebody and, um, and, and being able to farm the experiences of his life well examined Mm. um, which set me up hopefully to also have a life that will be well examined so good it it makes so much sense why this is important to you because you have been able to experience relationships often we don't with our relatives we don't have those kind of, I mean, some of us are lucky to, you know, but many aren't. And to have that and know what that, those conversations and that time spent meant to you in becoming who you are, it, it just, it makes sense that digging in and having those conversations with others about grief, because the more grief you have, the more related, you know, the more you knew each other you know, the closer you were on whatever level that was. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the shared experience. Um, every well, dad and I both experienced 
life very differently. We had very different, there were things that were very familial about us that bonded us. But he used to say to me all the time, you make choices that I wouldn't make, but they're your choices to make, not mine. Yeah, (laughs) nice, nice. Instead of don't make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas when I was younger, I lived with the terror of disappointing him. Like Mm. he was a, uh, he had a great presence and um, feeling that I wasn't uh, living up to an expectation that I didn't quite know what that was, was a really um, paralyzing concept, which is why I left when I was so young. Mm. Uh, But I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to come back and be myself and have I'll find a way of helping him to understand who I was apart from daughter, but being a human being um, and that he, and that he was open. I was just, I was very like, I, I have and am extremely lucky. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It sounds like it. What a beautiful path, you know, mm-hmm. it's really, it, and, and grief winds itself in and it just, you know, those are the things when you can remember fondly and channel that or do whatever you want with that. And, and, you know, it's not all fond, but when you have those moments that, you know, you were able to grab and, you know, just tie into the life you're leading, share it with how you raise your son and how you interact with your friends and your mom and your cousin and humanity. And now the people that will benefit from this research and work you're doing. So it's really, it's really a gift. Do you have questions that you know you're going to ask or do you just, are you just thinking you're going to have conversations? Um, I do have a set of questions that I'm going to ask. The first thing that I really need to establish with people is what does grief mean to them? Because mm-hmm. I think an assumption that it's the same thing for all of us. So um, I want to ask people about their own ideas about grief. I think the the interviews will not be very firmly structured because I think the jumping off point will be what grief and loss they've had. Mm. Then I want to ask them about whether like black and white question, do you often feel stifled and unable to communicate with your art form or release your art form when you are in that the throes of it? Do you experience it, it as something that motivates you or but it's going to depend because people's thoughts about grief are so different because for me it's just part of, like you said, the the brick in your handbag or in mm. your pocket. It's For me it's, it's part of who I am. I don't perceive it as being, but I'm sure for other people it will be quite different. So I'm going to have to work around whatever their approach is Interesting. with dealing with the situations they have in their lives. I mean, I do have questions to do with, you know, their influences and, and stuff like that, but largely I'm going to be asking them to open up about their personal relationship with grief and then to see where it goes. I think yeah. I do have questions, but it's really going to depend. Yeah. Will you record these? I want, yeah, I'll definitely record them, but I don't, I wanted to do uh, release them as podcast episodes, but I'm not sure that I have the technical know-how to be able to do that, and I want to really do them justice. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite sure. I mean, I w- I'll we'll definitely be recording yeah. them. If you have the material, you can do it. You can do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I just I just think that's wonderful. You you might find that you know I know you have your group of people you're thinking about talking to, but you might find that, that people are so interested in this, that they'd like to participate. Like you could have a form, you know, on, on your Instagram bio or something to say like, what, what do you think? Fill out this for me. People well, that's, that's the thing you should say that. Cause what part of the idea of the project was actually to set up an online community cool. where artists can come, they mm-hmm. can help each other. They can communicate with each other. Um, the difficulty that I saw with that was people will say, well, I'm not grieving now, so that's not relevant to me. But if you understand the broader concept of what I'm trying to do, then you'll see that it's actually just um, a, a differently focused space for makers to support each other. I think you're giving people permission. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, if, if, if the place feels safe, 
and the and the like-minded you know support is there it would be really interesting to see what comes of that that's very cool and I think that um generally the artists that I have been in contact with are very are very open like when you make art when you're a maker you're sharing of yourself anyway sure and many artists are just so generous and so if you're there whether it be for your own purposes or or because you have something to contribute to the greater artist slash grief community um which needs a really catchy title yeah (laughs) I think I think it would I think it'll be a, a positive thing I mean I keep saying that everything's positive, but I mean, that's, I don't view it as negative. And I really, I'm so thankful that you sort of got the gist of what I was trying to achieve. Yeah. Didn't being a dark place. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we were potentially raised similarly where it's like, we support who you are. Here's, here's another way to look at things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I, I think having a way to a different way to think about channeling that grief or where to put it is a, a gift, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's certainly a tool I'd like in my toolbox. And of course I have to ask you who's inspiring you. Okay. So, well, Esty McLeod is Good a one. huge impression. Stops me in my tracks. Yeah. So often with her mastery of color and light and movement and, uh, so good. Um, there, it's funny when I was thinking about this, all the people that sprang to mind were contemporary women. Um, not to say that there aren't contemporary men, but um, Vivian Strauss is a Kentucky-based collage maker, mm-hmm. and also she does fabulous embroideries. Um, very witty. She's very witty. Um, uh, but yeah, so Vivian Strauss. Um, who else? Oh, there's a printmaker in uh, in Melbourne. Her name is Deborah Williams, mm. and all her work um, is about dogs. Oh, cool. And she does these. Um, she's very well regarded. She has works in the National Gallery and all over the world. She's she's exceptional in her understanding of the dog spirit. And I'm a dog, I'm like not a dog person because I've had cats, but I have two dogs that helped keep me grounded. It's all about the dog and how that represents humanity as well. Gail Kabaker. Yes, I totally love, love her. I love her work and the workshops that she's running with August Wren. Yes, aren't they uh, wonderful? Uh, sorry? Are they so wonderful? They all as a, and the dynamic duoness of the two of yeah. them is um the synergy is wonderful. I adore them. It really they're such a good match. They are that's the I, I'm quite jealous that I'm not on the retreat that they're currently. Uh, yes. But, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're incredibly inspiring and they do um, life, they sort of accompany you on a life draw, drawing um, undertaking, which I did the first one a couple week and a half ago. And oh, that was that was breathtakingly fun. <sighs> eye-opening I loved that good um do more um life drawing and that sort of stuff because I think that that's it's it's very in the moment and it sort of helps to articulate what I'm trying to do as well who else oh there's a Swiss painter who I adore her name is Christine Kachowski and she paints uh she paints in a hyper real way um but then she has this amazing way with colour. She will, mm. she'll, will paint things that are extremely faded out and then paint waterfalls, ribbons coming. It's just really oh, wow. intricate and beautiful. And for, I'll say one other artist who had her transformation in what she's doing has been so exciting for me. And her name is Saffron Newey, N-E-W-E-Y. And she... She's an also hyperreal painter now, but the first paintings I ever saw of hers was oh, 20 years ago, and she would paint um, a garden bed but in, with just a tiny spotlight, like from the moon, the moonlight in a garden bed. So 
you you had to really find what you were looking for. But as you searched into these oil paintings, it would all suddenly come together and you'd see an, a, a bunch of irises or a bush of irises or wow. It, it, amazing. She's a technical skill like I've never seen. And she's now painting on metal and um, doing these huge um, murals and, yeah, she's extraordinary. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot of um, women doing some really exciting things. Oh, thanks. You've brought some new ones to me today to dig into. And these will all be in the show notes so everybody can check it out. Thank you so much, Sophie. I really appreciate this conversation. And as I said, I just am in full support of your project. And I mean, not that you need that, but I just can't wait to see what comes of it. And it's very exciting. Do let me know. You'll have to let me know if it comes. I will definitely let you know. Well, I'll know in a couple of weeks about the funding, but once I've that's yay or nay, then I'll be able to actually make my plan and I will not even run it past you. (laughs) (laughs) I love things like that. And I love that you've had clay in your hands this entire time. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, I'm like that too. I really like to be doing something tactile as I go. So yeah. Yeah. It's part of who we are. It's just part of being creative, right? That's right. Well, thank you so much. And I would love to hear, I'd love to have you back as it goes and just hear how it's how things are unfolding for you and, and what the, what the present looks like at that time. Okay. I'll definitely be available anytime you like. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we will, we will speak again. Okay. Thank you so much. It's lovely to meet you. You too. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for windowsill chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.